are entering the Freedom Hut. The caravan marches on and it grows now to 7,000 people. They look like they are going to keep going until they get to our southern border. What should Trump do and what do the Democrats claim we should do to deal with this massive movement of people? Also, Beto mania is a farce, but it tells us a lot about what the Democrats are planning, not just now, but for 2020, perhaps. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. We have a lot of everybody in that group. It's a horrible thing, and it's a lot bigger than 5,000 people. And we got to stop them at the border. And unfortunately, you look at the countries, they have not done their job. Unfortunately, they have not done their job. Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, they're paid a lot of money every year. We give them foreign aid and they did nothing for us. Nothing. They did nothing for us. So we give them tremendous amounts of money. You know what it is. You cover it all the time. Hundreds of millions of dollars. They, like a lot of others, do nothing for our country. Welcome to the Buck Saxton Show. Trump laying down some truth. We need to stop the caravan. The caravan must be stopped. Uh, it's shouldn't It shouldn't be on us to do it, but I think we're going to have to. I do not think that we can trust that the Mexican government, which under the Merida Initiative, I would note, which is similar to what we did in Plan Colombia, where we've effectively given them billions of dollars in aid and assistance over many years for their own security and counter-narcotics and anti-corruption measures. Uh, You would think that Mexico, which is a country that is dependent upon us largely for uh, any number of uh, economic avenues, lots of trade, lots of good things that that they want to keep going, you think that they would be a very helpful partner in this but of course they've got their own problems and they don't want to stop 7,000 Hondurans from marching through their territory and ending up on the U.S. border and all claiming asylum Um, I would just note that this issue is going to be demagogued into oblivion so rather than get too deep and we will talk more about some of the specifics here and what I think should happen but let's start with a very simple question What do the Democrats want us to do with this caravan, which is, as of today, estimated to have 7,000 people in it? What do they want us to do? They should be forced to answer that question. Every Democrat who is seeking office in this country, even election two weeks away, every Democrat should be asked on air, on the record, what should we do about this caravan? I'm noticing that that's not a question of you had uh, what, you know, you had CNN run a debate with Gillum and DeSantis. We'll run some audio from that later for you, some highlights uh, for the Florida governorship. But I, I don't remember that question being asked. And I want to ask by I want to ask by every journalist of everyone running. What should be done here? Because you'll notice that what the Democrats offer as an answer is Trump is a racist, blah, blah, Statue of Liberty. That's not an answer. If they're saying that these are asylum seekers, these are refugees, well, then I have to ask, if these 7,000 people who are unvetted, 
who have not produced any documentation. Yes, they're undocumented. You know, we don't know anything about them. If they are just automatically to be treated as refugees, what about the millions of people who live in Honduras? Are they all refugees? I, I need to know if we are being told by the Democrats that this is a group of refugees, we need to know uh, what happens when 7,000 more show up and then 7,000 more show up and then 15,000 show up and then 20,000 show up. Why would that be? Why is that so hard? If, if they get in, they'll, they'll know this is the place to go. This is the way to do it. Do the Democrats have an answer for this? Do they even pretend to have an answer to this question? Do they have anything at all? Can they offer us anything at all in this realm? The answer, I'm wondering, maybe they do. I I know that they have a lot of postures that they take. I know that they want to sound like they're very uh, humanitarian and they're so concerned and they care so much about the poor and the downtrodden. Meanwhile, it's Democrats who have destroyed most of the major urban centers that they've been in sole government control of for the last, oh, you know, 50 years. The Democrats who have, destroyed places and made life more miserable with their governance and with their policies everywhere from, you know, Baltimore to Detroit to, you know, you name it. Democrats have a track record that they really should shy away from running on. But nonetheless, uh, they think that all they have to do is make this an issue of who cares more. Well, I want to know what should we do. And the Democrats do not have an answer to the question If we take this 7,000, what do we do with the next 7,000? And what does that mean for our overall immigration policy? Are we a nation of laws? Do we have sovereignty at all anymore? If enough people want to come here and they form a, a mass of human beings that are moving physically to our border, do we have to let them in? Do we have to process them and then give them later on a, oh, show up for your, your court hearing? Five years from now. Oh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of them are going to show up for that. And if they do, I'm sure a lot of them are going to say, I've been here for five years. I haven't broken the law again. Now I get to stay. And the ACLU and a whole army of activist lawyer groups will come right to their side and say, that's right. They get to stay. Must feel pretty weird to be one of the people that are currently waiting to go through our legal immigration process. It's expensive. It's time consuming. It's annoying. And it must not particularly feel fair to people that have already gone through our immigration system to become Americans, to become permanent residents of this country. Uh, They must feel like, wow, Democrats don't really have much respect for what I went through, especially for those of you who have become citizens. Democrats just want to give this away as long as it benefits them, as long as it strengthens their electoral prospects. The Democrats can't answer simple questions on this because it's not about principles, and we all know it. They should be at least forced to answer these questions. What should be done with the caravan? What should we do with the next one? I promise you, if they had to answer those and enough Americans heard them, they would get wiped out in the midterms. we got more on this coming up. Stay with me. Is it demagoguery? How would you describe this? It is demagoguery, Brian. It is also, I believe, racism and nativism really pandering uh, to the fears of Trump supporters and Fox News viewers who tend to be older, white uh, males 
who are alarmed about this supposed invasion of dark-skinned uh, newcomers coming to America. I mean, the, the threat is entirely bogus because, in fact, border crossings have declined dramatically in the last 18 years, down 80 percent. There is not this massive army of, of illegal immigrants, and these people are not even illegal immigrants. They are refugees who are seeking legal admission to the United States. It must be a debasing thing to have once called yourself, as Max Boot has, to have once called yourself a conservative and to have just completely become a turncoat and a bootlicker of the left wing, which is what this guy is now. He's going on CNN, say whatever he has to say, just trash. I guess all those people that he was writing for all those years, right, all those years this guy was building a career writing about and for and two conservatives, at least in his mind, he basically was, let's go to war with foreign countries uh, that you know we think we can remake in our image. I mean, a, ver- a very aggressive interventionist foreign policy guy uh, and not really known for much else. But, but at least he, he was thought of as on the right. Uh, he was despised by his colleagues at the Council on Foreign Relations. I actually knew him when I was an intern there, believe it or not, and he was not liked. Uh, by the other people that worked there at all, which I attributed to his conservatism at the time, meaning I thought they didn't like him because he's conservative. But maybe he's just a jerk then, too. Uh, maybe he was just always a jerk. I don't know. But he's acting like a jerk now. I mean, to say that opposition to a 7,000, it's going to be 10,000 probably by the end of the week, but a 7,000-person caravan, uh, concerns about that, just waltzing into the United States, 7,000 people in one one fell swoop. It's going to take probably a couple of weeks, probably three or four weeks if they're really on foot the whole way, which I doubt. I have a feeling that there'll be some buses and trains and things that all of a sudden are brought into service here to help them. Oh, it was all just spontaneous, they say. Yeah, right. Uh, but whenever it is that they get to the border, we're just supposed to let them into the country? Uh, this is so, it's so intellectually lazy. And for somebody who fancies himself an intellect, as Max Max Boot does, it just goes to show you how, how pathetic the whole thing is. Uh, but intellectually lazy to say that it's fear of brown people that's the problem here. Nobody would want 7,000. I don't care if 7,000 Canadians line up on the border and want to come into the country. We have sovereignty. We have laws. This is a country. They must be enforced. All right. This is not, this should not be, it is up for debate, unfortunately, but it should not be up for debate. We should be able to determine who comes and goes from our country. Uh, if we can't determine that, I would note, then then what right do we have to expect people in this country to pay the taxes that are demanded of them, including global? We have extraterritorial taxation as American citizens. You could live in a foreign country. They're still going to tax you. OK, that's that's the way America plays the game. But if you want to come and go as you please come make money go bring money back home send money back home without it ever being taxed eh, they don't know, nothing about that they no problem with that this is a scam it's a scam and it's not about fear of anyone's skin color and to say so is disgusting and it's a slander but he knows that and cnn audience is sitting home yeah yeah that's right trump's racist yeah yeah like a bunch of imbeciles a bunch of stupid hamsters hitting the pedal to get their little pellet their little pellet of left-wing garbage that's what this is all about that thing he said by the way about about border crossings are down 80 percent of the last 10 years i don't maybe he's just not very smart border crossings compared to what and when and i would note that there's a tremendous amount that aren't border crossings that stay in the country you have a half a million visa overstays every year 
Does he realize that a large percentage of them are here beyond 365 days, which means that they're long-term visa overstays? That's right. People fly into the country now and just stay. So the, the notion of, and, and we're talking about illegal border crossings, guess what? They're illegal. We don't know how many there are. But this is yet another talking point. This is how you have people that are supposed to be smart that will say we have 11 million people. And I say, well, we've had 11 million in the last 10 years. And every every Border Patrol officer I've talked to and I've spoken to many will tell you that at every border sector, they're catching people crossing in the country illegally all the time, all the time. So the numbers stay static, even though there are people coming in. all the, This is like saying I have a cup of water and it's the same. It's not getting any more full over time, even though there is every day a drip into that water glass. Maybe some of you have like a scientific explanation of evaporation or something, but you know what I'm saying. It's obviously growing. Uh, there is not the outflow that they say there is. Okay, people are not. Oh, the economy is bad. So they've all returned home. This is garbage. There's 20 million illegals in the country. Right? There's 20. Look at the numbers. Look at what we know. There are 20 million illegals in America right now. And everyone's terrified of that coming out before we give a mass amnesty. Because then the American people will realize that we have been betrayed. We've been lied to. And. The business owning class in this country and the the politicians who rely on them as donors have traded our sovereignty for cheap labor and the Democrats have traded our sovereignty for voters. And you say, oh, Buck, illegals can't vote. One, we don't really know who's voting. Two, by being the party of illegals, Democrats have also become the party of immigrants and Latinos. They have made that transition. And so it's a it is a pure power play for them and for republicans it's just well the donors you know they want they want people <laughs> i love these articles they can't find people to take the jobs once the illegals are gone okay pay more money stop breaking the law and pay more money you know th these these I, I i start to sound a little bit like i'm a little too friendly toward the state here but you know america has rule of law and roads and and you know, courts and, and fire and police and all these things. You know, we, we do need to pay some taxes and to avoid taxes to pay to your workers and to let them get away with generally not paying taxes because it's cheaper for you is cheating. Is cheating. And this should be enforced. This should not be allowed to continue on. Uh, but the opposition to the migrant caravan is not rooted in racism. And to say so is unfair and dishonest and despicable. But you'll notice this is going to be the primary. The primary way they talk about it. Um, meanwhile, on the other side of this, you got Representative Louis Gomer, who's uh, he's not holding back at all. Play 11. All of these people trying to force their way in. It's called an invasion. And thank God we have a president that will stand up to an invasion like this. I've heard people on TV, so-called experts, say, well, you can't use the military because of posse comitatus. Look, that uh, normally prevents the military from being used against its own citizens. It has nothing to do with uh, using the military to stop an invasion from another country. So there's nothing unconstitutional or illegal about the president doing what Woodrow Wilson did, put uh, tens of thousands of people on the border and make sure nobody forces their way in. And, I, you know, you were talking about coming through ports of entry. The president's got to close the border until this threat is over because it is a threat. We know this is a tactic. We know it's gone on. We know it continues to go on. And it's it, you can't deal with it other than to just stop to the whole group and close the border. Yeah, you got to close the border. You got to close the border. Or, or you can listen to the 
<laughs> the chattering class, people like Allison Camerata, Allison Camerata over at CNN, who has stuff like this to offer. Play 15. If you come to the border today with a child, it doesn't even have this to be your own left. child. Uh -huh. You will get entrance into our country. You will jump the line from people who are waiting, immigrants in this country, who have uh -huh. family members waiting in line. And to will become, you get, to, just, just, to, to, just, to, just to fact check it, will you get a luxury sure. car? What'd you say? Will you get a luxury car given to you? Uh, you get all kinds of, what the Democrats want to do in every Matt, one of these things is give them, you get Obamacare, you get a telephone, you get all kinds of things. I don't know about a car. I haven't heard about a car, but I mean, you get all kinds Matt, of programs. You don't get a Rolls Royce. You don't get a luxury car. George Soros doesn't meet you at the border handing out millions of dollars. I don't all know of this stuff, Matt. Who's paying for the caravan? On. Allison, who's paying for the caravan? I'd like to know. Matt. I think we should put a reporter on it. Who's paying for oh, it? Oh, we you have think... a reporter on it. Let me so let answer me your question. You, think, you, no, think this you is asked me a question. Let me answer I, it. We yes, have like journalists that. along the way. Sure. This is not, no one is paying for the caravan. Poor people are marching 2,700 no. 20, nope. miles, Matt. Matt, Matt, are they going to get a Mercedes-Benz? Matt, are they going to be given a Maybach? It's very, very pricey. My driver prefers it. <laughs> get out of here, camarada. What is this garbage? <laughs> Who the heck is saying they get a luxury car? Soros is not waiting at the border handing out million-dollar bills. No, he is not. That is true. Because I, I don't think anyone's handing out million-dollar bills. Um, all right, we've got so much more on this and then where the status of the elections are. And Kim Strassel from The Wall Street Journal, that's all coming up. What we have said is, one, uh, to replace ICE and put it inside the Department of Justice, an organization that it would at least have fidelity to the law. Well, will you honor a request from Donald Trump's ICE agency? If they provide a detainer request, will you honor it as governor? Will you, you work with Donald Trump? Yes you or no? You can proceed with your time. He won't answer the Jake. That's important because that's what happens when somebody's Jake, a criminal. You, if, I've if been a prosecutor. Like I've worked with law enforcement. When they're in the system, they're convicted. Maybe they serve 10 years, but it comes time to come out. There's a detainer request from ICE. You either turn them over to ICE or release them into the community. That's the only two options. Andrew will not answer the question. Detainers, that tells me, me he would be willing to release them okay, back like into to, our like community. The he won't answer the question. That was... Gillum and DeSantis, uh, DeSantis was the one who was pushing him on that issue. Both candidates for uh, uh, for the governor of Florida and and trying to, you know, trying to get that last push here as we get very close. And people are going to look at Florida. They're going to say this is a bellwether state. This tells you a lot about the direction of the country for the midterm election. They're going to say that this is, you know, really. Uh, well, it depends if the Democrats win it, if Gillum wins, who is the uh Mayor of Tallahassee, another person who I don't think they're going to run him in 2020, but they see him in a young, uh, charismatic, Obama-esque mold. So a lot of Democrats very excited about about Gillum and you know, who's basically a socialist. I mean, he's pretty he's pretty open about it. he wants single payer and he wants to raise taxes, although he won't say that. You'll ask him, how do you pay for this? Uh, a bunch of things. And, you know, we'll find some ways. But DeSantis was pushing him here on the issue of ICE detainer requests. And notice how Gillum would not answer, because what this really is is a question about sanctuary city policy. Sanctuary cities do not, and now there's some variations here depending on which jurisdiction, but sanctuary cities, as a, as a general rule, do not adhere to or do not honor ICE detainer requests. What that means is when someone is already 
in custody of law enforcement and Immigrations and Customs Enforcement is informed that that person is in custody, they send a detainer request if they want that person to be turned over to them for the purposes of deportation. They refuse. Sanctuary city jurisdictions refuse to do that. And what DeSantis knows, and he had been a prosecutor, is that that means that there are people who are a danger to the community, who are convicted criminals, people who have served sentences, including sometimes for violent crimes, and local jurisdictions, because of the politics around illegals and because of the pandering to generally the Latino community by Democrats, jurisdictions will not honor these detainee requests, which means that people who are criminals and illegal aliens get released back out into the general population and can become repeat offenders. And this is really a question of, do you believe that law enforcement should work together. You know, I cannot think of another issue where if the FBI requested, uh, for example, the FBI requested help from a sheriff or local law enforcement, they wouldn't just not get help. They would be stonewalled. We refuse to help you as a matter of policy. right. And people realize that there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of ways, unfortunately, but it is true that even local crimes can get tangled up in the federal web. And so there are, and just the FBI is viewed as a legitimate law enforcement body by most folks. And so there's a lot of cooperation between those, right? I mean, I here, here's a perfect example. I worked in the NYPD intelligence division. I was seated, uh, seated with, seated with, pardon me, uh, seated with FBI agents, DEA agents, uh, people from all these different federal immigrations and customs enforcement, all these different agencies were all sitting together because stuff that would come on my radar would also be on their radar. And we worked together. It was a fusion center. That's what I was doing. That's my my. And of course, also on the federal counterterrorism side in particular. But we understand that there's a lot of crossover with law enforcement. Well, somebody who is a drug dealer who is also an illegal alien is causing problems for the law in multiple ways. And one law enforcement agency should support the other law enforcement agencies, legitimate law enforcement functions. What Gillum is telling you without telling you is that he prefers lawlessness because it is politically advantageous. He won't say it, but DeSantis was right to push him on this one. And this then goes to a a refrain that you've heard a lot from the left, and I really hope becomes a huge problem for them in the in the midterms, which is, remember when, abolish ICE, abolish ICE. That was a thing that they were chanting all summer. Not reform ICE, not change the law or change the policy at the border so that we can have a more efficient way to transfer people so that they are with their children or they're at least close to their children and know they'll be reunited. You know, it wasn't have a serious adult conversation about this. It was abolish ICE. It was street protest activism slogans in place of a serious adult policy discussion. Well, that was a reflection of where the Democrat Party is on this issue, which is a kind of childishness around it. They are they are unserious. They are fundamentally unserious about dealing with immigration and, and enforcement of immigration laws. And they also will say things that are just bizarre, like, oh, put ICE under DOJ. Okay, so put a put a massive federal bureaucracy that's in DHS, put it in another massive federal bureaucracy. The whole point here is that I or the point they're making is that ICE will not, in fact, 
adhere to the law, but the FBI will? After what we've seen with the Russia stuff, does anyone really believe that? I mean, you think you think putting the FBI in charge of them or putting the DOJ in charge of them is really going to make things better? Uh, these these are all these are just different executive branch agencies. Right? There's there's no reason to think that that bureaucratic shuffling will make anything better. But but Elizabeth Warren goes even further here. Elizabeth Warren, who still thinks. As delusional as she is, as crazy as she is, she still thinks she's got a real political future on the national stage. I, you know, just as an aside here, I think I've heard some people say that maybe her plan was to do such a uh, pull, pull such a dumb move that we will become numb to the stupidity of it later on, and then it can't be used against her because she's already just fallen so flat on her face with it. I, I've I don't know if that's really possible, but that I've heard people saying that. But here's what she says, which is also a fall flat on her face, stupid point. Uh, here's what she says about Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. This was just uh, this week. Play uh, six. Go I want to see this agency reformed because an agency that can't tell the difference in the risk between a seven-year-old girl, between a woman going in for brain cancer surgery and a terrorist or a criminal is an agency that is not working, it is not making us safer, and it sure doesn't reflect our values. I don't know what the heck she thinks she's talking about here. About a terrorist versus somebody for brain surgery? Who, who, what straw man argument did she come up with here exactly? This makes no sense. This is just bizarro land stuff. I mean, there, there's nothing about this that I can point to and say, yeah, yeah, I, I know where she's going with that. I, I know what she was trying for. It's just like she's on another planet. But remember that because we do have a porous border um, and because we do have an inability to control the population flow into this country in a meaningful way, you also have over 70,000 people a year dying from drug overdoses. And the drugs are coming from Mexico, folks. The drugs are coming primarily from Mexico. The lethal ones are coming in across our southern border in huge numbers, and they're killing tens of thousands of Americans. This is the most urgent security threat that we face. This is the most urgent public health crisis that we face, and it is because of our southern border. You'd think that that would mean it gets higher up on the attention list, but apparently not. Apparently not. Remember, the, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency just recently seized fentanyl that was enough in terms of dosage to kill 5 million Americans. Uh, producer Mike sent me that. So that's a lot. You would think that that would get them a, a little bit more credibility from the left with, oh, yeah, they're actually keeping, they are keeping us safe. They are doing a lot for us. But this is just a power play for them. They'll say whatever they have to say as long as they have to in order to get restored into a majority in the House and to then bring about amnesty that will essentially eradicate the Republican Party. That's the goal that they are going for. You know, there's a Senate race that I don't think is getting nearly enough attention. You got the Beto-obsessed media talking all about how he's going to beat Ted Cruz when now that's just laughable. Uh, but there's another race that uh, maybe deserves a second look here, at least for what it tells us about the Democratic Party, if not what it tells us about the possibility of this race going for the Republicans. Kim Strassel joins us now to talk about what's going on in New Jersey. She has a piece up on the Wall Street Journal where she is on the editorial board. Smiling at corruption, Democrats try to save Bob Menendez months after his bipartisan admonishment. Uh, Kim, great to have you back. It is great to be here. 
All right, what's going on in, in the Garden State, which I always feel a certain love-hate relationship for as a New Yorker? What's going on up there? Yeah, well, as you said, you know, what's notable here is that while the entire media is still obsessing over Texas, where those numbers look as though Ted Cruz is, is definitely pulling away from Beto O'Rourke, there's a race that's even within a smaller margin of error and in New Jersey where the Democrat, Bob Menendez, who, as you mentioned, um, he was censored by his colleagues, rather admonished by his colleagues back earlier this year um, after he had been found to have accepted all sorts of gifts from a man who is a now convicted felon who ran one of the biggest Medicare frauds on the government in all time. Um, not only was he accepting a lot of gifts from this guy and not acknowledging them under Senate ethics rules, but he was working on behalf of this guy to help him with his business interests in Washington, including going so far as to lobby the Health and Human Services Secretary on his behalf. So um, he, he was actually indicted for this. Uh, the, the FBI ultimately, I'm sorry, the Department of Justice ultimately dropped the charges after the Supreme Court uh, changed the standard um, on what it would take to convict him. But he was admonished, and he's now facing a very tough race against Bob Hugan, a Republican businessman who's been highlighting this, and it's, it's really driving up Menendez's unfavorable. I have to say there's a, a deafening silence, Kim, from so many of the O. Oh, Jared Kushner must have some shady relationship with Saudi Arabia. I, I hear this from people in the media all the time, and then I say, okay, well, what is it? And then there's, not, there's nothing. There, there's all these whispers of corruption around Trump. Meanwhile, Menendez, who, you know, whether people want to just parse out the legality of what he did or not, what he did was gross, and the guy he was associating with even grosser, and they're just hoping to push this guy over the line for the Democrats. Yeah, I mean, Democrats are actually out there running a campaign focused on so-called Republican corruption. Nancy Pelosi this summer actually handed out to her members a toolkit of talking points about how they could supposedly go after Republican corruption, Trump, and, and all sorts of other issues, none of which, as you have said, there's any real evidence for. But in the meantime, they just have closed their eyes to this, and in some cases, actually are outright helping. I mean, look, the Democrats, that's why I called the column Smiling at Corruption, uh, the biggest super PAC out there, majority super PAC, helping Senate Democrats, just decided to reroute $3 million to help Bob Menendez in his race, uh, money that they're taking away from even more important races for them, uh, where they're trying to defend seats um, in places where Trump won, um, because he's in so much trouble. But in essence, this is the Democratic Party saying, hey, you know what? We're okay with corruption. Um, yes, there's a whole trail of evidence. It's very clear. In fact, the Senate is on record saying that he engaged in corruption, but we're still going to do everything we can to return him to office. Yeah, and I have to say that there are two areas where I see a tremendous hypocrisy in the left. You know, one of them is on this, uh, is, is on the notion of corruption, which, as you pointed out, is is a talking point against the Republicans. But you have so many Democrats. You start to think about all the Democrats that have gone to prison in just in the last oh four or five years for incredibly obvious and very shady corruption. And that never gets brought up in, in any of this discussion. As I said, there's always this vague, oh, Trump must, you know, someone starts telling me about the emoluments clause, Kim. You know, that, that tends to be what I hear about. Uh, but also on, on the notion of mobs. I, I have to say, I, am, I have been surprised, and I take a very dim view of much of the, uh, of the journalist class, which I know technically you definitely are a journalist. I'm something else, but I'm pretty close to journal land. Uh, but most journalists, I think, act in a way that is rarely surprising to me. But on the mobs, Kim, 
I'm seeing a lot of people that say, you know, they have no other they have no other way to make their case. And these are people that write for the Washington Post. It's it's crazy. Look, it's absolutely unacceptable, okay? The whole reason we have civil society, we have debates, is so that we don't have mob rule. Just because your side didn't win an election, just because your person didn't get in office, or just because you lost your Supreme Court nomination, there is absolutely nothing written in any of the the formal or informal rules of our society that give you the right to chase Mitch McConnell or Ted Cruz out of a hound them at a restaurant. Um, This is, in fact, precisely why we have a ballot box in elections. And anybody who's out there, whether it's on CNN, I've seen a couple on there, or anyway, saying, well, A, it's not a mob, and B, they're just saying what they think. We all know that's not true. Um, Saying what you think is when you write an op-ed or a letter to a newspaper, um, or you go to vote. Uh, But, you know, harassing people on the street is not. And if that's the best they've got, then conservatives should actually feel pretty good that they're winning on the policy merits. Now, I know that it's it's really tight, and so to, to ask you to make a prediction, I mean, who really knows, but just... In, in the minute or so we have left here, Kim, how do you, where, what's the main dynamic you see right now in the House race that's going to determine whether it ends up being the Republicans or the Democrats who win the day? But I think the most important thing, which you won't hear anyone talking about, especially on the mainstream media, is how different this is today than it was just three weeks ago. Okay, We can already say with complete definite proof that the Democrats have blown it to a certain extent. Uh, they were talking about a wave three weeks ago. They messed up with Kavanaugh. It's not going to be a wave. I think it's going to come down to five seats one way or the other, right? Um, whoever does win, they're not going to have a huge majority. But I think Republicans are still in there. All right. Kim Strassel, everybody, of the Wall Street Journal. Check out her columns and also her book, The Intimidation Game. Kim, always appreciate you making the time for us. Come back soon. Thank you, Buck. Yeah, I think Kim's spot on there with the it's going to be five seats. It's going to be such a narrow margin. I, I don't think that we're going to know. We're certainly not going to know who controls the House by the time. Um, although you should listen for all of the show election night, obviously. Uh, but we're not going to know who controls the House, I think, uh, by, you know, the time this show is is over. Um, I think it's going to stretch. Well, I guess the polls close around eight. There's no way we would know. OK, yeah, it's, it's not even close. But we might not even know till. I don't know, maybe the next morning it's going to it's going to be drawn out and it's going to be very, very tight, which just goes to tell you, you know, they've been telling us that Trump is a fascist and destroying America. And now they're praying and hoping that they can not have a blue wave, but a little blue ripple, just a little bit. It's crazy right now. You got the left freaking out, chasing people out of restaurants, screaming at little old ladies and anybody that shows up at a Trump rally and wears a MAGA hat. You've got all kinds of nonsense going on about the post-Kavanaugh rage from all the different progressives. How about we all just stop that crap and drink some delicious coffee? How about that for an idea? Because that's what I do every day. I drink Black Rifle coffee every morning. I drink it full-on black because it is delicious high-quality, small-batch, roast-to-order coffee. And I've made converts all over my office. I'm like, why are you drinking that commie swill when you could be drinking Black Rifle, a company founded by veterans, and that's all about delicious coffee? Go check it out for yourself. Nothing cures a bad attitude quite like starting your day with the most American coffee ever, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's Black Rifle Coffee dot com slash buck for 15 percent off black rifle coffee dot com slash buck great group of people the turkey right now and a great people of
the people in Sunny Lake Water. We will know very soon. We have tremendously talented people that do this stuff very well. They're coming back tonight, tomorrow, and I will know very soon. And I am not satisfied with what I've heard. That's Trump. I know the audio wasn't great there, but no one's audio was great because it's the president speaking with a with an engine going in the background. He gave a press conference today, impromptu press conference, talking about the Khashoggi situation. Khashoggi murder, we can call it that now. I mean, we've known that all along, but now even the Saudis are like, yeah, he was murdered. He was murdered. And uh, the Saudis have been caught up here. Uh, the Saudis are lying. We've known that really all along, but now it's quite obvious that they're lying. Um, they admit that there was a, as they said, a struggle, a fist fight in the consulate with the security team and Khashoggi, and that he was in fact killed. They claim uh, not to. They claim that it was, of course, not planned. So you had a a guy whose expertise is in being a coroner, i.e., the guy that does the investigations about bodies and would know, for example, what they look for in a forensics. I'm sorry, he's a he is a forensics investigator and a, and a coroner, so would know what they'd be looking for in a crime scene situation. That's big, and they had a bone saw with them. Another really big coincidence that we haven't had any real explanation for and you add all these things together and oh yes by the way uh, they also tell us that they don't know where the body is i'm pretty sure that someone in the saudi team knows where the body is in fact i'm pretty sure that we all know that what happened was that the uh the saudi team that was assigned to uh to get him cut him up and took the body back to saudi arabia in pieces. This was a mafia style hit that was ordered by the head of Saudi Arabia. Now, they're going to claim that it wasn't, in fact, the, the head of Saudi Arabia that knew about this or that did this. They're going to tell us that this was someone else. This was, you know, they're saying it's a rogue operation. Um, we obviously don't believe that. We don't accept that explanation of things. But I would just note that, you know, they they will do as much as they can to get away with this for as long as they can. Uh, and that means delaying. That means stretching this out as far as they can. That means, you know, trying to push a narrative of events here that will just, even though nobody will really believe them, it will give them some level of plausible deniability. Uh, and I have to say that, you know, now we get into... What do we do about it? Okay, so the Saudis, the Saudis are saying, oh, they're at the OJ part of this whole situation where, where OJ was looking for the real killers. You know, the, the Saudis are at that phase of this where it's very, very apparent that no one believes them. They killed this guy. And now we're all supposed to figure out what should we do next about this? As I have been saying to you, this has been receiving much greater focus in the media because they use this as an opportunity to go after Trump. Right? At, at the end of the day, what happens with Khashoggi is not really that much our business or our problem. Uh, we can give a diplomatic statement about it. We can say this was terrible. You should never have done this. But we are not going to prosecute anyone. We don't have any mechanism even for prosecuting anyone. Uh, this was a crime committed on Turkish soil. So we don't have any 
jurisdiction here to speak of. It was also done in a consulate. So it was done on Saudi soil, on Turkish soil. So this is a diplomatic issue. This is between nation states. The guy was not a U.S. citizen. Now, I know he was a green card holder. He was a permanent resident. A lot of people focus in on that, but he's still not a citizen. Uh, He held foreign citizenship. So, you know, why is this the president situation primarily to handle? You know, why is this something where the president of the United States is the one guy who is supposed to take definitive action? And, you know, we, we know the answer. And the answer is that it's because the left wants to play this game of, you know, Trump is terrible and Trump is a dictator and all this other stuff. Uh, and he loves dictators. Here's Obama's former public relations propaganda czar from inside the White House, Ben Rhodes. And this is how dirty he's willing to be. Play clip five. What we're seeing here, Chris, is is really the continuation of a profound realignment of American foreign policy under Donald Trump, where we no longer speak up for democracy and human rights. We no longer speak up for journalists. Instead, we call them the enemy of the state. And we're giving a green light, not just to this Saudi regime, but to any regime around the world who wants to harm dissidents, harm journalists, because the most powerful democracy in the world is no longer on their side. I think it has to do with Jared, his son-in-law. He's been sort of his viceroy when it comes to dealings with the Arab world. I think he feels that somehow he's in bed with this royal family over there, that his sort of Romanov phony family uh, and their family seem to be locked together. Jared and his crown prince prince seem to be in bed together politically. Yeah, in bed together politically. Quick Matthew. Oh, my gosh. I I don't know why anyone listens to that guy. Just so desperate to hang on and be relevant. He must be good friends with the management at MSNBC. I don't know why people listen to him. I really don't. Uh, among one of the worst analysts on TV, uh, a total, I believe he used to be a conservative. He'll just say whatever he has to say to try and be relevant at any point in time. But you you had there two different versions of giant bullcrap. Uh, bullcrap coming from Ben Rhodes is that this is Trump's fault, that the Khashoggi murder is because Trump calls CNN you know, the enemy of the people. Uh, I, I hate to break it to you, but, you know, there are journalists, there are propaganda apparatus in countries where journalists are the enemy of the people, straight up. Is the North Korean Ministry of Propaganda the enemy of the North Korean people? Yes. Is North Korean state media the enemy of the North Korean people, whether they know it or not? Yes. Same thing's true in Iran. Same thing's true in a lot of countries. Just being a journalist does not give you some Moral superiority, which I know is a shock to all the swamp-dwelling journalists around me here in Washington, D.C. They, they really think that they're special. and They don't want anyone to tell them otherwise. And this is, you always, I always get the sense from all these journalist types, this is the only profession they could ever even consider having. You know, that, that the notion of showing up to a job and just doing something else to them, once they've, once they've tasted a certain level of success in journalism, is just, oh, it's horrifying to them. Work with the plebes again? Oh, no. Many of them have never done that, by the way. They go right out of right out of school, right into some J program somewhere, and that's that's the pathway. Anyway, uh, this is just idiocy, though, from Rhodes. And then you have this whole conspiracy theory about Kushner and Mohammed bin, Sol- uh, bin Salman, where, uh, yeah, Kushner, the, Saudi's a very important strategic player in the Middle East right now. That's a fact. We don't get to ignore him. That's a fact. No administration, no administration has ever stood up to the Saudis in a meaningful way 
for running one of the crappiest countries on earth despite all of its oil wealth. No administration, no president, including Obama, who is bowing, literally bowing to the Saudis, okay? So everyone needs to just slow their roll and chill out on this. Stop making this about cheap partisan points against Trump. That's all they want to do. They don't care about this guy, Khashoggi. They have a little more solidarity with him than they would otherwise because he was not even a, he wasn't even a journalist, he was a columnist. The guy was an, was an opinion writer for them. Now, I'm not saying that means that, you know, anything bad should have happened to him. But the way they're talking about him, it's like he's, you know, he, he is one of them. Meanwhile, is anybody who ever writes an opinion column anywhere somebody that now gets special treatment in terms of the media's view of them? I can tell you this much. If it were a conservative who had been attacked, I mean, a, an American conservative who had been attacked somewhere else in the world, you'd hear a lot less outrage about this. Just a fact. It is just a if, if it were someone who were critical of fundamentalist Islam and that was the primary attack that Islam in Saudi Arabia is a destructive, oppressive, tyrannical force. And the Saudis took that guy out. They'd say, well, you know, there's a lot of Islamophobia going on there. I mean, you know, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have murdered him. But there, you know, there's a lot of Islamophobia. Meanwhile, if you even bring up that Khashoggi was and this is a fact, an Islamist, meaning he believed in political Islam and was very friendly and cozy with the Muslim Brotherhood. It's like you're trampling on the man's grave. That's that's just telling the truth. He was an Islamist. No, nobody, he wouldn't deny this if he were alive. Nobody denies this. Doesn't mean he should have been brutally murdered. Oh, I, I almost left out that he also, uh, that they dressed someone up as a body double in his clothing after they'd killed him to try to create footage of him leaving. So that was the plan. They, they were going to try to, uh, they must not have known that the fiance was outside because they were going to try and say that he left and that they had no knowledge and they, they were going to disappear him. That was the plan, to disappear him. And they are just really, really dumb about it. Let me give you a little bit of intel agency insight here in, in terms of what I, what I learned when I was in the CIA about how foreign intelligence often operates. This is a little bit of an inside baseball for you who like that kind of thing. There are a lot of countries that are very effective. Their services are very effective at surveillance and at uh, certain you know, regime security issues. That's that's generally what most intelligence agencies are. Their primary concern is right regime and keeping the people in power in power and stopping any threats against them. Most countries aren't really worried about foreign invasion. Most countries are worried about toppling from from the inside, um, and they get very adept at dealing with that threat. But they also often operate in places where they can be really hamfisted. I guess that's kind of the wrong term for Saudi Arabia, but you know what I mean. They can be clumsy and sloppy and get away with it. And that's what I think happened here. The Saudis, the Saudi intelligence services, the Saudi police state can be thuggish in Saudi Arabia and can be thuggish in other Middle Eastern countries where they have a lot of sway. They can't really be so thuggish in Turkey. And that may have been the miscalculation here. They thought that they could get away with this and they're not used to operating on foreign soil where there's also a very, by the way, thuggish intelligence apparatus uh, apparatus that is at work. So uh, a lot of intrigue here. We'll be right back. There's been a change in the last few months. People have started to realize that social media platforms are not a public utility. They're not there just for the free exchange of ideas. They are Internet companies, but they're also media outlets. They are platforms and they make editorial decisions all the time. And guess what? 
the big ones out there are making editorial decisions that favor Democrats, progressives, and the left, and they're doing it on a regular basis. You know this. You've heard about the shadow banning. You've heard about the deplatforming. How about we start our own social media platform where there's none of that stuff about bias, no conversational health, nothing like that at all? Snippy.com is it. S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. I have an account there. I post. You should be posting, too. We're going to work it into roll call. Snippy.com. It's a place where the founders are all about the First Amendment, free expression, and no censorship, no agenda ever. S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Snippy.com. That's right, folks. The Beto song, B-E-T-O instead of Y-M-C-A. Wow. It, I, I would say it's embarrassing, but it kind of goes beyond that to just astonishment. Why would people think this guy is so cool? What about What is there about him? I, I really think that this is, the, the, the mainstream media has an ability to take people who aren't that impressive and through narrative creation, make them something of a pop culture icon in politics. The same way that they can take in the uh, entertainment industry, somebody who's not really that talented and make them into a pop star, they can do that with politics on the media side of of, uh, news and politics. I think that's what they've done with this Beto guy. I really don't get it. I'm, I'm being completely honest with you. Look, with the Obama thing, I understood what the left was going for with that, right? I got it. He had that whole, you know, I'm, I'm you know, he, he, sometimes he would talk sort of prophesied, I got to do this, I got to do that. But then also, sometimes he had the booming voice, you know, he'd do this booming voice thing where he was just, you know, some people say this, and, and I don't say that, and you do this, and you're going to do that. And, you know, look, he, he sounded, he sounded presidential to the left. Uh, they thought he was really charismatic and and he he was able to give a good prepared speech off the cuff really unimpressive but he could give a good a good prepared speech and but they've tried this with others now too you know john ossoff as i mentioned wendy davis you know they and the whole kennedy crew that's all a construct the notion that the kennedys are so exceptional and even they try to mold beto into a an extension of the kennedy lore somehow oh he's kind of like jfk because he's young and sort of handsome. The whole notion of, of calling this guy Beto, by the way, is just such, it's just such nonsense. <laughs> really, you know, you know, you're not Hispanic. So why you would just have this Hispanic nickname strikes me as very obvious uh, that people would just call you Beto. Really, your your father, you know, Mr. Mr. O'Rourke was like, I'm going to call my son Beto. Um, Strikes me. Maybe it's true. I mean, I maybe, but it, the whole thing strikes me as a bit as a bit odd. Now, I'm not one to make fun of people's names, but I mean, I'm not. I didn't call myself, you know, 
uh, Win N G U Y E N or something, which is a fine name, but it tends to be a name associated with Southeast Asia, right? I, I didn't just adopt some name from another culture and be like, yeah, I'm basically a part of that culture. Might as well be. It's it's cultural appropriation what Beto's doing, but r- reporters and and the left and the Democrats they're obsessed with this guy. It's weird. It's it's really in the realm of creepy. And here is, for example, here's just one example of this. I mean, here's a reporter who's supposed to be interviewing Beto O'Rourke, and this is what she says to him during the interview. Play clip nine. Obvious strategies that I've seen employed in a, in a modern campaign. We just literally show up everywhere all the time for everyone. You can't go 10 Thank feet without an interruption from a Beto backer. Thank you so much. I love you, too. Thank you all. You're a rock star. No, no, there's just so no, many great really people are. who are. You can't go anywhere without getting... Hey! You're a rock star. Beto, you're a rock star. You're amazing, Beto. That's a reporter. She's got the mic in hand, the whole thing. You're a rock star. Really? That's what you say to the the, uh, the guy that is the is your interview subject? Now, look, I know people were, were saying, "Oh, you're so great," but does any has any reporter uh, uh, from the big mainstream journalist outfits out there has anyone on the left or or even in the main the quote mainstream media down the middle journalist the big lie, but they still cling to it. Have they ever gone somewhere with Trump and been like, "Wow, you're you're a political phenomenon the likes of which this country has probably never seen." Um. Does anyone ever say that? Did they say he's a rock star? I mean, Trump's... If Beto is a rock star, Trump is a is some kind of superhuman superstar, right? But they would never do that. And I'm not saying that they should. I just want to note the comparison between the two because when you take a look at it, you can find very obviously that, you know, they they buy into this mythology around this guy, Beto. But everyone says, by the way, you know, oh, he's so handsome, he's so charismatic. I, I don't see it at all. I don't, I don't, none of it. I'm like, yeah, the guy's, you know, he's okay looking and, you know, he sounds okay. And the whole thing, thing strikes me as kind of phony, but I, I guess there's a, 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 a kind of mixing here in their minds of that running a person from a red state as a down home Democrat who can speak to the whole country and, but also has that kind of youth and cool charisma thing that Obama had. So it's almost like the best of Bill Clinton, the best of Obama, politically speaking, pulled together. Um, and I, I think that is how they view it. Uh, I think that's kind of the, the the way that, because they're obsessed with this guy. And I'll tell you this, and I've seen some others saying, and I think it's true. They know he's going to lose. He's going to lose by double digits. I've been telling you. He's going to lose by by nine or ten points. They think he's going to run for president. That's what they think. They think that he'll have a good enough showing in Texas that the case will be he'll win all the blue states and be competitive in the red states, and he can take on Trump. And I'm here to tell you that Trump would crush him so badly he would flee the scene. What the f***? Dude, seriously. Yeah, dude. Seriously. What? This? Not... Nah, it's cool. I'm a prince. She's a princess. We were gonna, you know, we messed around at the party, so we're just picking up where we left off. But is she into it now? She told me earlier she wants the D from the P. From the P? That, yeah, the, that's me, the prince, the P. I'm the P here. The, the prince? What? You should have made a contract or something? No, but, uh, I mean, did you ask her if she wants to? Hmm. Well, 
I guess. Not really. Okay. In case you didn't know, that is a kind of public service announcement from Amnesty International, which is an organization that apparently has a lot of time on its hands. And Amnesty International thinks that people need to be told via fairy tale that there should be no uh, no kissing women who are asleep. This guy also, this this it's a cartoon. We played you the audio from it. He kind of like reaches like he's going to do a little grope grope thing uh, while this woman's passed out. And, you know, this follows last week when you had Kristen Bell, who is a celebutant, uh, does not strike me as very bright. She's a, f- a fine actress, I guess. I don't know. She kind of plays at a, you know, attractive, youngish, blonde female. Uh, I, I've never seen her really extend herself. But, but who cares? I'm not a thespian critic or an, a critic of theater. Uh, but she said that she's worried about what will happen to young women that see, or people in general, including her daughter, I think she said, with a fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty who is kissed to wake her up from her dream because that there's a violation of consent that goes on there. Now, I pointed out to you last week that the, the point is really not that there's a consent issue because it, we're talking about a witch who has magic apples and somebody's in a coma from eating the apple, and it is a, it is a fairy tale. And really, if the only way for her to be awoken, which is the, the storyline, is by a prince to kiss her, he saves her life by kissing her. So it's really almost like he's performing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, I would say, and therefore he does have consent if we're going to take it to this weird place where we're talking about this, because if somebody is choking and you give them mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, you don't have to say, hey, can you can you verbalize that you're choking and I'm going to give you, or you know, or their, their heart is stopped. I know choking is the Heimlich, heart is stopped. You get the idea. Uh, so mouth-to-mouth resuscitation you know, in in a fairy tale is really what we're talking about here. But they ran with this. They didn't stop. They weren't, they weren't, it wasn't enough for them to just say, I have an actress say this, because there was another one, I forget who, another actress came out. Oh, I'm worried about fairy tales and the patriarchy. So they're, they're destroying centuries old stories that is instill very basic, one, creative sensibility in young people, but also have some basic morality and tales of good and evil. And you know, they're fairy tales. They're meant for amusement. I, I promise you, I don't know a single guy who in college age was like, well, because the handsome prince can kiss the girl in the coma, uh, I can kiss this girl in real life here. Like, no one would ever think that. Nobody. No human being has ever, ever, ever thought that. So this was a problem that did not exist, but now they've gone even further with it. And, you know, in that video, I don't want to play it again for you because you already heard it, but, you know, there's some very dirt. First of all, there's a curse and there's some, they make it very clear that there's some uh, kind of crude sexual humor in there as well, you know, referring to the initials that he uses and everything. And he's clearly supposed to be an entitled frat bro, the prince. I mean, there's, there's all the, the patriarchy left-wing stuff is there. But, you know, this is what the, the, what the left doesn't yet grasp is that they lose on this stuff. They lose on these culture issues where they are acting like maniacs. Um, and, and this brings me to not just this battle over fairy tales and consent, but this whole, this whole story that broke today about how Trump is, uh, taking, is telling the DOJ now um, that they should, this is, this is the storyline at least, 
that transgender could be defined out of existence under a Trump administration. Now, that is such a loaded headline. Uh, That is such a loaded headline in so many ways. One of them is that no person can be defined out of existence. A person is a person, and all of us have equal rights under the law as people. Uh, This is a question of whether you can create an additional protected class of people who have additional rights to everybody else based upon this designation of transgender. And the left is very upset about this because the transgender issue, they say transgender rights are human rights. Very upset. This has led to all the bathroom policy fights. And there's this tremendous focus on this issue right now uh, because they view this as one of the places where Trump is being a, you know, Trump is being a savage. Trump is being so heartless and cruel and all the rest of it. Meanwhile, no one can really have an honest conversation on the left about what's going on here. When they say that He's Trump is going to redefine, and this is one of the very uh, skewed ways that we always have to have conversation with the left, is that if something is one way for 4,000 years, and then the left says, it's now another way, the next day when we say, well, hold on a second, I don't think that's really accurate, they say, oh, they, they, they want to change this whole concept, they want to change things. I said, well, I thought... To be a progressive, aren't you always changing things? But this is central to how they operate. The changes that progressives get in culture, in law, in society must be considered permanent. The changes that conservatives get, even when it is a change back to traditions and back to what we all consider normative, that's disruptive and crazy and regressive and horrible. So their victories are permanent. Ours are always up for further battles and further further debate um transgenderism is a very tricky issue for a lot of people uh i i know and i'm very friendly with a number of transgender people in in my day-to-day life and let's always remember that you have to be polite and decent to everyone you know there's no room for being nasty to somebody especially if you take the position that i do that transgenderism is largely an emotional uh disorder then you want to be kind to somebody who has who's having a struggle. They're having a problem. They're having an issue, right? Same way that if I met somebody who said, you know, I'm, re- I'm really struggling in the grips of alcoholism, it's nothing to make a joke about or be nasty about. You, you want to, as a human being, support them, reach out to them, assist them in that struggle because we are all struggling. But that's on the human-to-human level. On the policy level, they can't even define what transgender really is. And this is where they, there's a very, you have to watch their hands very closely as they play the three-card Monty here or the Democrat Party. You have, to, you have to pay attention because they will say, well, the science is with us. But that's a lie because sex is, in fact, binary, male, female. And there has never been a human being who has two fully functional sets of genit- genitalia. This is scientific terminology. I'm not trying to be, you know, crass or prurient or anything like that. Uh, there is something called intersex or uh, being a hermaphrodite. Hermaphrodite is a reference back to uh, the child of Hermes and Aphrodite that was said to be both male and female. That's where the term hermaphrodite comes from, right? Hermes and Aphrodite, uh, hermaphrodite. Um, But that intersex, which is the more commonly used term for that now, is never fully both. 
you you actually you know and there can be some genetic uh, there can be some genetic abnormalities in this and again I'm not a scientist but I do read a lot about this and I'm trying to share that information with you in good faith and honesty uh, but here's the bigger problem that they have the people that are claiming to be transgender are not by a lot or overwhelmingly I should say not biologically intersex and if being intersex which is a physical characteristic is the basis for transgenderism. Then it does. Then it does not extend to all the people that just say, "I feel differently." I have a psychologically based transgenderism. So this is why, on the science, they they can't win this argument. They have to make this an emotional argument. They have to make an emotional argument because what they're really calling for is the government's recognition and special protection of a psychological condition, also known as gender dysphoria. And the viciousness with which the left will attack anyone who tries to have a good faith discussion about this tells you all you really need to know. You know, when you see academics from respected publications write about rapid onset gender dysphoria, which just means people hear about other people who are transgender, young people in particular, teenagers, and they say, oh, you know, they feel strange about their sexuality. Man, being a teenager is hard. I remember it was not an easy time. And then they think, well, I must be transgender, too. Well, when you see that clustering, clustering that happening, you know that it is not a not an immutable biological characteristic. It's environmental and psychological. So now we're going to create a separate class, legally speaking, a separate class. People can think of themselves whoever they want, right? You know, and you can change your name. You can tell me that change your name. What you know, but sex is a definable thing, and we are not changing the definition. We are just saying that it is definable. Male and female, and it is binary. There are not 37 genders. There are two. There are not 10 genders. There are two. We need to be very clear about this. And if there are going to be distinctions in the law for people who are transgender, then it needs to be very clear what qualifies one as transgender and what we really mean when we say that. Because what we're not going to do, and this is what the left wants to do, is pretend and force us all legally to pretend that there are not, in fact, just two genders that male and female are not verifiable, quantifiable, real things anymore. I am fine with being understanding and decent and respectful. In fact, I think that it's a calling uh, for all of us to approach our daily lives in that way. I am not fine with being legally forced into either accepting so vague a description and definition as to be meaningless or to be forced into supporting a falsehood, a delusion. You know, if somebody who is uh, male wants me to call that person, you know, uh, uh, Denise, I will do that. You can choose your name, and I'm respectful of that. But if someone wants their driver's license to say sex unknown, I'm sorry. No, that's a problem. That's a delusion. That's not living in reality. Science doesn't support it. And it's an unreasonable position to take. And it's not one that falls under the, oh, let's all just be polite to each other exception. Other than two years ago, the presidential race, I have never seen spirit like I see right now. I think the Republicans are going to do very well. People are tired of high taxes. We gave the tax cuts. We've done so much. And they want a strong military, they want protection, they want safety, they want security. We give that. The Democrats do not give that. The Democrats don't know what they're doing, they don't know what they're giving. 
I think we're going to do very, very well in the race, yeah? I think Trump's right. I think that we're going to pick up Senate seats. I think it's going to be 55. You heard it here first. 55 Republican Senate seats by, by the end of this thing. Not quite at the supermajority of 60, although wouldn't that be sweet? Midterms, going to be tight. I mean, uh, House, rather, in the midterms. Going to be tight. Very, very tight. I... I think it could go either way right now, and it's going to be just a few seats that separates the Democrats from the Republicans at the end of the day. But Trump is an incredibly powerful voice in this whole debate and discussion. I think that he's really making a very he's making the case very well, which is the Democrats don't actually have an agenda or a platform other than trying to restore the legal and cultural edifice of Obamaism. While Trump is president and they won't be able to do that. So this is really just going to be much more uh, rhetorical battling, much more fighting it out in the media and nastiness. And it, it really is. It is mobs or jobs. And the Republicans need to hammer that home. The, 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 I think they're on that and they're doing eh, they're OK. They, they could be stronger on this. But on health care, I'm furious with the Republicans. Because they don't have a unified message and because of a couple of very uh, unreliable GOP senators, we don't actually have a real achievement to speak of in uh, in the healthcare realm. And Obamacare is garbage and Trump is allowing people to get out of the individual mandate, but that and also giving states more flexibility in this. But they need to be telling people what that means and what it does for them. You know, they are not effective messengers on health care. And that could be I really do think if, if the Democrats win the win the House, it's going to be because of that issue on the Senate side. However, Ted Cruz versus uh, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, no surprise here. Trump is going out there to stand for stand for Ted. And I just thought that I thought this was a nice moment here. play play clip 20 as Trump's on his way to Texas. To me, he's not lying, Ted, anymore. He's beautiful, Ted. Beautiful, he's Ted. Texas. I call him Texas Ted. Now, Ted, Ted Cruz and I had a very, very nasty and tough campaign. It was a very competitive, it was a very tough campaign. Uh, once it ended and we got together, and, and by the way, very late into the campaign, we lasted. People were shocked. I said, don't worry, it's only a question of time. And then ultimately what happened, we fought it out. The outcome was obvious, and we have worked together very closely. I like him a lot. I actually like him a lot, and he's a very smart guy. He loves the people of Texas, which I do. And in fact, right now, I guess they said they've never seen it. It's like a big tailgate. It goes on for miles. It's over 100,000 people. It's incredible, the crowd that's going to be greeting Trump in Texas, saying over 100,000 people have registered for this thing. Uh, we've had some fun with the whole Beto mess on this show tonight. Uh, but keep in mind, it's just yet another case study in the media malpractice and in the bias that's pushing so much of what they do every day. I mean, this guy, Beto never had a prayer, never had a chance, but the media just tried so hard. $38 million. Oh, they're going all in on this guy, all in on him. And I just feel like. You know, it, it couldn't be any more obvious. They have very little interest in the fact that there's a, a much closer than anticipated Senate race for the uh, seat, the Franken seat up in Minnesota. You know, you, you'll notice that not a lot of people 
not a lot of people in the media are are paying attention to the fact there's a single digit lead right now for the Democrat in that in that Senate race who's trying to uh, replace the frankincense. So, you know, the, the race where they think maybe they can get some big upset against Ted Cruz, that gets all kinds of coverage. By the way, Senator uh, Tina Smith is the one I'm, I'm talking about here. So she's just barely hanging on up there. And uh, we'll see. Um, Single-digit lead in her battle to stay in the seat that she was appointed to following Franken's resignation. Hour three coming up, going to be huge. Look, our president has normalized this kind of behavior, and as long as he's in office, it's going to be the norm, unfortunately. Oh, I think he's sitting there and he's thinking a couple of things. First of all, I have Capitol Police that are 10 feet away. Uh, Two, he's thinking I got my wife, Elaine, who's better than the Capitol Police. Three, he's thinking (laughs) Merrick Garland, you know, versus my leftovers. I mean, he's getting away with murder. And net net, I think he thinks this is is the worst he gets. It's fine. But this is such a made up uh, problem. People are doing this because there is no other opportunity or no other uh, oversight. The Republican Congress has basically pledged fealty to Donald Trump. You have a Republican Party who is giving aid and comfort to the Proud Boys and to white nationalists, and they become the party of white nationalists mm-hmm. and all of their hatred. That's a bigger deal to me than someone right. not getting their supper. Everything that guy just said is either a lie, obtuse, or just bizarre. Mostly lies, lots of obtuse, and some bizarre, too. That's uh, Philip Reigns, who is Obama's former Deputy Secretary of State and, and a close, I don't know if he still is because people eventually always fall out with the Clintons, a close associate of the Clintons. And there he was excusing what happened over the weekend, which was a confrontation between Mitch McConnell and some restaurant protester types where Mitch, Mitch McConnell was just trying to have dinner. He's there with Elaine Chow, his wife, and they're just trying to sit in, I think they're at like a Golden Corral or something, a very you know normal, everyday restaurant. And you've got people that are up in his face yelling at him. And we have the audio. The audio of it is not great. But uh, he, here's here's what happened at this restaurant over the weekend where, once again, civility out the window. Mob behavior, folks. Jobs, not mobs. That is the Republican motto right now because the mobs are everywhere with the left. The mobs are always tracking our people down to harass them. Play clip one. Get out of here. Why don't you leave the entire country. I didn't know that. So you get the idea. It was another, you know, well, you leave our country. Some guy yelling at Mitch McConnell. Libs are crazy. I mean, it really is a delusion. It really is a a, a mental impairment at this point to be a, a far left progressive. You cannot handle normal reality. And and I think that you, you keep seeing this happening. And, and I honestly just get so tired of hearing from people that, one, it's not a problem. I mean, that guy, Philippe Reigns, we just came in with that clip. He says, you know, this this isn't a thing. No, it is a thing. He's talking about an incident of it, and there have been many incidents of this. Mob behavior from the left, mob behavior from Democrats who are throwing tantrums. That's all this is, a public tantrum. 
And th- this notion that people have no other way of, well, what do they think this achieves? Does, does someone really think that by acting like a moron, Mitch McConnell is going to say, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. You're right. I am a Nazi. Maybe I should just stop being a senator. I mean, is, is that is that in any way realistic? Now, I also saw over the weekend, I'm always amazed at how many people that are supposed to have intelligent opinions are, are actually morons. Um, and, and I know that this is a thing that happens, but, you know, here's some guy named Wesley Lowry at the uh, Washington Post. He wrote, he wrote over the weekend after this Mitch McConnell thing, quote, yelling at elected officials in public is protected First Amendment speech. And it's pretty disgusting to see journalists lecturing our fellow citizens for directly petitioning government officials like the Philippe Reigns clip. Everything he said here is is wrong in in essence. Uh, now, I know people. Yes, it is. It is protected speech, but that's irrelevant because the protected speech we're talking about here in a restaurant. No one's saying the government has a right to come in and arrest these people. But the establishment can say, get out. You're trespassing. This is private property. They have that right, too. You know, the, the left thinks that the First Amendment means they get to say whatever they want and act however they want. And nobody else gets to say anything about it because we're infringing on their right by exercising our right. They don't understand this. They have no concept of uh, of rights existing in parallel to each other. You know, somebody can say something really stupid about Trump and I can say that was really stupid. That doesn't mean that I'm negating their First Amendment right. If I, you know, put tape over their mouth and lock them in a closet, that's probably kidnapping. But also it's that's negating their First Amendment right. If I refuse to give them a permit to speak in a public park when I give that permit to other people to speak in a public park because of viewpoint discrimination, that's not respecting their First Amendment right. But in a restaurant, no. You don't have the right to go into a restaurant and act like a moron uh, any more than you have the right to go into a restaurant and play your, you know, boombox, which we used to have. Some of you remember, we used to have those in the 80s and the 90s. Boom, 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 boom. The boombox, you remember, you used to carry it around with you. I remember how cool you were in high school was almost directly correlated with how big your speakers were. You know, you wanted big speakers. Then you were really cool. I always thought little speakers were much more aesthetically pleasing. And people are like, well, how do you like the little speakers, Buck? And, and one other note on speakers, there, there was a guy, there was a public pool that I would go to um, over the week. Well, it's not really public, but a, a community pool, whatever, that I used to go to over the summer. And there's a guy who used to show up there. With And he would bring, every time he was there, he would bring a little outdoor speaker with him and play his weird Buddha bar lounge music. And and I just think that that's such an obtuse, weird thing to do. Like everybody else in the pool wants to hear your music. You know, that that's a bold thing to do to inflict that on every, bring a Bluetooth speaker with you so you can blast your music at a pool with 100 people. I think that's very, very strange. Um, and I think that, you know, it's it's something that people should not do. Anyway, back to Mitch McConnell and what's going on here. I mean, this guy, Wesley, at the Washington Post is, is essentially uh, doesn't understand where the First Amendment stops and starts. And you see this from a lot of journalists, which you think that people who make a living from the First Amendment would have a better understanding of it. But their understanding of the First Amendment is they have special rights and privileges and everybody else needs to just deal with it. Uh, but that's not the way that's not the way this is supposed to function. That's not how this is supposed to go. And for the Philly brains thing, I mean, to say that we're giving comfort to white nationalists and, and we're uh, I, I hate this talking point. It's so vile. It's so despicable and unfair. And they keep saying it all the time. And it's just a way of shutting down 
any honest political dialogue, which is why people like me have increasingly said over the last six months, you know what? The Russia collusion thing. Now they know they can't win that. You're just you're just going to see that same that same mentality, that same insane tenacity around an issue where they think they can destroy the president. That's going to be uh, expanded to cover any number of things. So the, the, the craziness that led them to believe that Russia collusion was going to bring down the president, that same level of just bizarre uh, will now be on everything. The 25th Amendment stuff, the confronting people in restaurants, because that was just the that was the, the place where you had the first real symptoms of Trump Trump derangement syndrome. The first major symptom was Russia is going to bring down the presidency. It's really going to happen. Trump is a Russian stooge and a Russian pawn where it's just a matter of time before we prove it. And now you see that because that's just not going to work, they're now pushing out into everything else. And you're seeing the same insanity. I mean, Philippe Reigns there saying that, you know, it's it's not a big deal that people were yelling at Mitch McConnell. And remember, no one's saying these people should be arrested. We're just saying they're idiots and people shouldn't do this. And we should be able to share that opinion without people saying, you can't share your opinion. That's destroying the First Amendment. No, it is not. It is not. And uh, I, I just think that this is one of these places where, you know, you either have principles or you don't. I, I, by the way, I'm not skipping over. We just don't have on the list here. There were there were a bunch of people that were harassing Nancy Pelosi over the weekend, too. And they are total morons. OK, they absolutely should not should not uh, be given any respect or any you know approval from anyone. I heard somebody say they were the Proud Boys. I don't know. Uh, I just know that there was video of people. Sorry, I'm getting over a cold, so my voice has been really shaky the last week. Video of people who, by the way, yeah, that's right. I had a cold. I did the show every day. I don't miss the show when I'm sick because I love all of you so much, and I can't, I can't skip a day in the Freedom Hut unless I have a work thing I have to do. But that's rare. Uh, but the people yelling at Pelosi, they've done nothing to help their cause and a lot to harm it. Uh, if their cause is, and I, and I don't know what their cause is. I'm assuming it's just anti-left wing something. But the left, you're doing them a huge favor, no matter who you are. If you say you're on the right, and I know some people are talking false flag. I haven't seen any evidence of that. If you say you're on the right and you are screaming and yelling at people on the left, now you give them the ability to say, oh, see, both sides are doing it when both sides aren't doing it. But that one case will be magnified. So those imbeciles who were banging on doors and yelling at Pelosi have done the far left a huge favor. I just saw the CEO of Global Verification Network last week here in D.C. We caught up for a while. and I said, hey, Mark, how's business? He said, business is great. We've got companies large and small coming to us for their background investigations and vetting. And I know why that is, folks, because Global Verification is a U.S.-based, veteran-owned and operated background investigation company. Whatever your needs are for your HR department or if you're going to be leasing out a property to somebody, if you need to make sure the person you are transacting business with is who they say they are, you want a U.S.-based company, a veteran-owned and operated company, one that doesn't offshore data, doesn't send your stuff overseas, and really just act as a middleman taking a cut. Global Verification Network does it all here. It's headquartered in Chicago. This is an all-American company, folks. Call them, 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Tell them Buck Sexton sent you or go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com. Specifically, one of the biggest challenges you have, you were screamed at for four hours this week at a town hall on homelessness. Homelessness is nearly 
up 50% in your city since you became mayor, according to the LA Times. Now there's a typhus outbreak, likely due to the booming number of rats attracted by all the few food and human waste It's in Skid Row and other places. Um, some yeah. critics might say, hey, Mayor Garcetti, why are you traveling the country campaigning for Democrats in the midterms when you have this huge crisis in your own backyard? Well, I think they're linked together, and I welcome a national conversation. Washington, D.C., where there are more homeless per capita, where you see in Seattle and San Francisco, and you see in uh, red and blue cities, a mental health crisis. And, you know, mayors, as I said, can't avoid that. I've, a lot of people told me never touch the issue of homelessness, but I am so passionate about it. We have people who are dying on our streets from opioid addiction. Um, I'm so proud of voters in Los Angeles who passed the two largest measures in the local level in U.S. history to combat homelessness. Uh, this is uh, what people say is an unsolvable problem, and I'm committed to solving it. Somebody put Mayor Garcetti of L.A.'s answer there on the poop patrol because that's what it deserves. That was incredible. So there you had uh, Lib, Lib Tapper over at uh, CNN, Liberal Jake Tapper, um, also known as Fake Tapper. And, and he is, he's asking Garcetti about the, uh, the, the whole situation of homelessness in L.A., which I've seen with my own eyes, and I'm sure many of you have too, is appalling. Uh, there are tent cities in parts of L.A., and it's gotten so bad now that there has been a typhus outbreak. Now, for w those of you who are wondering, why would, why would there be a typhus outbreak because of the homelessness problem? It's because human feces attracts rats. And the rats attracted to the human feces carry fleas, and the fleas carry the typhus plague. Or not really technically a plague, but typhus disease. Although the plague, bubonic plague, was carried by the fleas on rats that came from the east into the Mediterranean, as you all know, and led to about a third of Europe being wiped out back in the day. Uh, the Black Death, bubonic plague, all the different names for the same thing. Uh, so there is an outbreak of typhus in Los Angeles, which is a pretty scary public health uh, issue. And here you have the mayor of Los Angeles, who's a mayor, okay? He, he's not a senator. He's not a state or national level politician. He's the mayor. And he's going around doing his whole, hey, I want to be famous and campaign for Democrats thing. He's asked about the homelessness problem. You know, there's really a map. I've seen it. There's a map in San Francisco to show you where people are uh noting that there is uh, feces on the street. And in that map, you can see that there's a tremendous concentration in some. I, I know I know we're talking about poop. I'm sorry, guys. It's gross. I hope you're not eating. But this is a real public health problem. All right. I will not avoid the poop just because it's smelly. Or something like that. Uh, so I guess I will. You know what I mean? You know what? You know what I mean? But Garcetti's answer is so classic, slimy politician. He's asked about the homelessness problem, and he immediately says, well, everybody's basically got a homelessness problem now. And that's not the point, and that's not even entirely true. L.A. is among the worst in the entire country, probably second only to San Francisco right now. And it's a relatively new problem. It's 50 percent up since Garcetti became the mayor of Los Angeles. But notice how he goes in this whole, you know, it's a it's a mental health crisis and I'm committed to solving it and. He gives this answer that if you weren't paying attention, you could come away from it and think, wow, this guy's really on the ball. And then you realize he hasn't said anything. He's essentially done the usual lib trick of, oh, I've got and I've got some things that we got to talk about. We really care. We're emotionally connected and solutions and think outside the box. All this gobbledygook. I mean, all this claptrap. But he doesn't give you a, a solution. 
He doesn't give you an answer or a way of dealing with the problem. He just says, yeah, you know, I, I, I really care and I'm on it and we're going to fix this. And you see this so much with the Democrats. It's really a reminder of how the Democrats are operating in general right now. And what they're doing is effectively to connect, try to connect emotionally with people without having to put forward any of their policies. To try and make it seem like they care. I, I feel, I, I feel your pain. That's what they're, you know. And that wasn't the only thing that Bill Clinton was feeling back in the day. I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, I like to, you know, also grapefruits in the grocery store and all kinds of, you know, orbital things, orbital objects. But, you know, Clinton aside for a moment here, the problem that Democrats have is the more people understand about what Democrats want to do when it comes to governance, the less they trust, gov the less they trust Democrats with governance. OK, so you have to keep that in mind. And the more that we find out that the Democrats don't have any solutions, the less we'll listen to their, oh, I've got solutions talk. Solutions like what? How do they want to deal with homelessness? The answer is they, they don't want to clear the homeless off the street and tell them that, you know, and essentially enforce vagrancy laws because that seems mean, right? Yeah, oh, you can't do that. Well, if we're going to create a system for keeping people off the street and we have places for them to go that are meant to give them a safe place to sleep, food to eat and help to get back up on their feet, which we do as a country. Uh, we do it better in some places than others, but there are programs that exist for that purpose. If we have those programs, we should also be able to say, hey, you can't sleep and live and poop in the street because that's what they're doing. And it's not good for the people that are living on the street. It's not safe. It's not sanitary. But the, the liberal mentality is uh, that they don't want to enforce the laws against the less fortunate because they want to use the less fortunate as a political pawn, right? They want to use the plight of people who live on the street to say, oh, you know, we need we need more funding. We need more funding. You know, look at the big mean Republicans with their tax breaks. Nobody is homeless because of a Republican tax break. Nobody is homeless because of Republican fat cats doing, you know, private equity restructuring or something. People lose their jobs. I mean, I'm not saying it's all fine, but you know, they, they take it to this point. And, and the other issue is when you look at mental health as a factor in homelessness, um, yes, that's true. But really what he means by mental health is, is generally uh, addiction. That's the primary, uh, the primary factor that you find with homeless populations all across the country. Putting aside this whole homeless by choice movement, which is a new thing, uh, which is, is happening in this country as well. People say, oh, housing is too expensive. I'm just going to choose to be homeless. Uh, but, you know, I, I would I would tell you that it's roughly 70 to 80 percent of the homeless population is is the number that I believe I've seen. But don't quote me on it. Uh, but it's a huge majority for sure of the homeless population has either a drug problem, a drinking problem or a serious mental health issue, very severe schizophrenia or any number of different diagnoses. And that means these are people who need help. And it is not helping them to leave them in the public square, literally in the public square, to engage in all kinds of, you know, human activity and bodily function and things that are unsafe and, you know, not the way that people should be living. But that means you're going to have to have police and social workers and others come along and say, all right, you got to come with me. We're going to get you off the street. We're going to help you. You don't just leave them there to wallow in their filth because that's what the ACLU says freedom is. What is the gravest threat facing this country right now? 
You might think fiat currency and an unsustainable debt load. You might think radical Islam or Chinese aggression, Russian nuclear fallout. I don't know, any number of different things that could come to mind. But Ocasio-Cortez, who is soon to be a sitting U.S. senator and darling of the left, has a very different idea about the single biggest, most existential threat to the United States. Here she is in her own words. That's right, we're talking about Nazi Germany now. This better be very serious. I assume she must be talking about what happens when China's economy surpasses our own and we have a country with a billion people that wants to be the preeminent global superpower or at least something incredibly serious that's really going to happen and be a real concern for us, right? The fact of the matter is we are dealing with a radical truth. No, we are not. Oh, my gosh. Climate change, folks. Climate change and renewable energy. I mean, the, the, but let's understand this. The push for renewable energy is not about economics. It's not about making a more efficient energy source for businesses. Uh, renewable energy is nowhere near as efficient as uh, carbon-based uh, fossil fuels, right? There, there's just, there's no comparison even still with some of the technological advances. But renewable energy is what we have to devote ourselves to as though it were an existential crisis similar to what we faced in the Second World War. I don't know how liberals go through the day being quite so crazy and quite so bizarre, but but they obviously do. I mean, there is very clearly a strain of contemporary liberalism that wants to believe in the extreme catastrophe scenario of global warming slash climate change slash... And, and I'm really starting to recognize this as a disease of the uh, Western mind in the industrialized world of the, of the 20th and 21st century, that because there has been a, an existential crisis for the individual, as the individual has moved away from God and a sense of a divine purpose for being on this earth, the existential purpose that exists for these people is in fact the existential crisis they've created in their mind via climate change. They need purpose. People, you go through, you know, uh, Maslow's, uh, Maslow's hierarchy, Maslow, that's right, here on the Buck Sexton Show, we combine Pavlov with Maslow for Maslow. But Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you were to take a quick look at it, 
there are, yes, of course, at, at the very top of it, you have the need, or, or I should say the very bottom of it, where your baseline uh, level of, of what is most important to you, you know, you, you have uh, the physical, and then you have security, and then you have social, and then you have ego, and then self-actualization. At the very top of that pyramid, self-actualization, what comes after you have the other things? Self-actualization and ego for the climate change loons are very much tied into each other. They exist to save the planet, and the save and saving the planet is why they exist, right? It's a self-reinforcing psychological loop that people that believe in this have. It's a belief. This is not scientific. It is a belief. And the fact that they have been wrong so many times and are wrong, not just based on the predictions, but wrong on their own day-to-day interpretation of the facts. Right? They'll say, oh, all the scientists agree. But that they can't even put this in terms that any serious person could could discuss with them. I mean, to say that we should mobilize millions of people in the, in the entire economy toward renewable energy, and we did that with Nazi Germany and Japan because we didn't want our culture and perhaps even our people to be exterminated. There's really no serious threat that we're going to be exterminated because of climate change. This is this is lunacy. This is laughable. And the people that think that I don't understand and you don't understand what's really go on, going on have to take an even bigger leap that we don't care that we'll be extinct or that our children will be extinct because we've been bought off by oil companies. This this is crazy. This is, once again, a mass delusion that has found a tremendous uh, resonance with the left. And Ocasio-Cortez just parrots it because she knows that to people on the political left, this is what they want to hear, even though it's crazy. That's right. Fight climate change like you fight Nazis. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Best way to kick off a Monday is with some awesome Roll Call action. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton and coming soon, Snippy.com as part of Roll Call. So start signing up for Snippy.com and sending posts and questions and fun things there as well. We're going to get away from the domination of Facebook as quickly as we can. Hopefully, that's the plan. All right, we have Chris writing, Charles Martel died on this day. Thanks for that excellent podcast. Any chance more Shields High podcasts are forthcoming from uh, Chris in uh, Mississippi? Chris, the answer is I hope so. But right now things are a little rough on the time front. And the truth is, as a business, the podcast world is very difficult to uh, crack into unless you have volume. So you need a lot of episodes and a lot of listenership. And so to uh, devote time to what is a labor of love that has no commercial enterprise value to it, uh, which is what Shields High was, that is something that uh, is going to have to wait a little bit. We're going to have to wait till we get this podcast to, let's say, about a half a million downloads a day, and then I'll do all the Shields High downloads you want. Eric writes, uh, by the way, we're on the way. We're on the way to that half a million a day. We just need some of you to tell some friends about the show. You spread the word. You guys are my eyes and ears out there in the world. 
Eric writes, additional data points for your audio guy. I hear the problem, whether on my Motorola or in my car. Um, also, there was a pre-recorded advertisement with your voice, and it sounded perfect. Uh, please fix the audio. The mic is quiet and tinny now. Hmm. Um, there for the Friday podcast, the music is fine. The narr- yeah, interesting. Uh, we, we had to do a, a, a different Freedom Hut remote location last week for a couple of days. So if that podcast was bad uh, in terms of audio quality, it was just because we were at a new location. But I'm back right into the center of the swamp here. So it should be all right now. Paul writes, Buck, during Friday's show, there was a segment featuring a host from The View. You were quick to counter her idea that journalists are a protected class. Something was overlooked, though. About halfway through her statement, she says the tone comes from the top. An accidental statement of truth, I'm sure, given the recent statements by Spartacus and the disgraced Secretary of State, Shields High, Paul. Well, Paul, let me say that, uh, yes, it is true that a lot of people in journalism and the media do get their marching orders from the very top in a whole bunch of different ways. And if you want to have a successful and lucrative career, what you generally want to do is find a way to parrot the dominant left-wing narrative. That's the most successful and lucrative approach. Uh, Of course, we do not do that here in the hut. Adam writes, Buck, on the Saudi debacle, I'd like to play devil's advocate here. Uh Uh-oh. Could it be that the hardliners use the reporter's death as a martyr to arrest the westernization of Islam? So far as everyone has canceled deals with it, it seems to have worked. Shields high. Adam I don't think so, but I do have to admit that nobody really knows exactly what has happened just quite yet. So let's keep keep our eyes and ears open on this one and hope to get more facts, more information, more data upon which to base our analyses soon. Jen writes, The way you hear the news talk about the reporter Khashoggi, at first I thought it was one of ours. This is not our issue. Not our citizen and not on our territory. I feel like this wouldn't have been so big an issue if Trump had not just succeeded in getting our pastor back, had not just succeeded in getting our pastor back. Uh, Why are these people not getting arrested? Jen, do you mean the people, the Saudi people that, uh, because they were arrested, or are we talking about the caravan? I'm not clear. Write me again and let me know. Dale. Buck. My wife and I just returned from our annual trip to Albuquerque and for the International Balloon Fiesta, and we always work in a couple days in El Paso while out there. I like to watch a lot of local news whenever I'm out of town, and during the commercial breaks, there were obviously tons of political ads, several of which featured the highly touted Beto O'Rourke. This was my first experience at length with Senor O'Rourke. Uh, Senor, or, Senor O'Rourke. Sorry, it's tough. Senor O'Rourke. It's not easy to say. And I came away thoroughly nonplussed. He's not all that photogenic. He can speak in complete sentences, but the crap he throws out is purely style over substance. He, of course, accused Republicans of a smear campaign against him with his DWI and attempted escape. And when he threw out, it's not a Democrat or Republican thing. I stopped worrying about him. Obama concerned me in 2004 with his speech at the DNC. O'Rourke concerns me zero. Empty suit, except he seems to eschew suits whenever possible. Dale. Dale, I, I think that they are going to try to make uh, Beto a national figure. I, I think that they do believe that even though he couldn't win in Texas 
uh, they might think of him as a presidential contender because that's the only way the Democrats really believe that they can win now is to run somebody who has a national level profile, even if they don't have national level political experience. That's what I think. Um, Chad writes, Buck, love your stuff. However, you don't have the knowledge or experience to take on the vaccine topic. Either learn more about both sides of the issue or just don't talk about it. It's no elitist liberals who choose not to vaccinate. Many conservatives like my wife and I with over 40 years in the healthcare field between us don't vaccinate our six kids. If you want to understand both sides, I'm willing to answer any questions you may have. For many, it's always an acceptable risk until it happens to their child. Good parents aren't the ones unwilling to look at both sides. Shield side, Chad. Okay, Chad, um, I don't pretend to have any knowledge about this other than just what I can read and what I can learn on my own. I have no professional experience in medicine or health at all. I do have access to a number of people in my personal and professional network who I believe would be considered world-class MDs, including somebody who is uh, chief of infectious disease at one of the biggest and uh, most well-regarded hospitals in New York City. And they, I can just tell you, they have no time for the vaccines cause autism discussion or debate. They think that it's essentially like saying that the moon landing didn't happen. They do not take it seriously at all as an intellectual position worthy of debate. So I, I can pass that along to you. And by the way, they're conservatives. So, I mean, they're, they're people that politically I, I happen to agree with, although that doesn't matter for this discussion, but they're not uh, liberals caught up in some kind of a fad. They, I've asked them about this, a few of them, and they're very definitive. And I know people get very mad at me. I'm just the messenger here, man. I have yet to meet a doctor. In fact, that would be my challenge to you. Give me a well-regarded uh, epidemiologist or, uh, or MD with decades of experience and an incredibly uh, acclaimed record who will tell me that vaccines are dangerous and people should not get vaccinated. And then I'm happy to take that on board as something that might sway me to one side of the argument or the other. I can just tell you, Chad, I've never come across that. And I've asked a lot of people about this. And all I get are people that get mad at me. And then they send me a link to a blog that has nothing other than just somebody posting other blog linked articles. And that's it. So I, I ask when I, when I talk about the global warming debate or climate change, whatever they call it, the other side says, well, there are no there are no well-regarded scientists who disagree with us. And I know that's a lie because I can name well-regarded scientists, Richard Lindzen. And, uh, you know, th there are there are well-regarded scientists on the record who say that it is not true. The climate change is the threat that we are led to believe. I just want a well-regarded MD to tell me this uh, and then cite the studies or the research for it. And then I'll take that on board. I, I just people get mad at me for this. I know they're very passionate about the topic. I am never given any reference or research that's serious. I'm just giving people that say, well, look at Susie so-and-so who talked to Bobby so-and-so who knows a guy who's like a really important researcher and says that, you know, vaccines cause autism. People can get mad at me all they want. I just, I'll change my opinion when I have some facts or some research. That's all. I don't know. So I appreciate you writing in chat and I'm glad that you love my stuff. And uh, I hope you don't get too mad at me for this response to you, but I am befuddled because I know people get mad at me for this one, including my own team. I don't know what they want me to say. Give me some evidence and not something that's, uh, you know, like looks like it's linked off the World Net Daily website. Give me some actual 
real studies and evidence. And uh, and then I will change my mind. Uh, hold on. Uh, Devin writes, Hey, Buck, this should be an easy movie quote. Uh, hot, uh, pop quiz, hot shot. Well, Devin, it is easy. That's obviously from Speed, and it's Dennis Hopper speaking to Keanu Reeves. Mark writes, Help me understand, Khashoggi, a Saudi citizen, killed by Saudis in a Saudi consulate on foreign soil, why do we care about this so much? Well, Mark, we care about it so much because it's an opportunity to goad the Trump administration into either a poor reaction or to hammer the Trump administration for the underreaction in the eyes of the media. That's what they so they either want an overreaction that harms U.S. foreign policy or they want a, an underreaction that will uh, be something they can just hammer Trump for. But it's our problem because it's Trump's problem in the eyes of the media. That's the real answer. And uh, that's where I'm going to leave it today for Roll Call Team. Every day this week, coming to you live from the swamp. I do ask if you get a chance, post a link to the podcast of the show on your Facebook page. Tell folks why you like it. Also, if you have not already, please do give a little review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps people see those numbers and see the reviews. Tell them why they should join the Freedom Hut too. I will see you tomorrow. Shields high.